0: This podcast is sponsored by Spotless, a new series from the Esquire Network. Spotless is a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. Learn more about Spotless by downloading Coming Clean, a roundtable podcast that goes behind the scenes of TV's best dark dramas. And tune into the Spotless series premiere November 14th at 10, 9 Central on Esquire Network.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Message. A new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater.
2: Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes.
0: From the Style Closet, in the back corner of the Huffington Post, in New York City, this is... The HuffPost Weird News Podcast, and I'm Buck Wolf. And in this wonderful studio today, we have two amazing people from the world of Sideshow. I got into the business of journalism, specifically weird news, to be surrounded by people who knew a thing or two about a thing or two and had sort of windows into worlds that few people really see all the time. And the first person I met is with me, Mark... Hey, Buck. Hey. And Mark started, uh, I met him almost 15 years ago. He was at the same time uh, uh, that he was working at at an advertising company and, and working for major brands. And all that time, I think, half his friends were advertising executives and the other half were sideshow freaks because of the other obsession. Is American Sideshow? He wrote a book about ten years ago called American Sideshow. It was just amazing. I think at the time to um, get understand the sideshow as it really existed. Uh, like most people would see the sideshow as only sort of like as uh, a sociological study, but you were just sort of like there as a fan, and it was such. It made people so uncomfortable in some regards that they had trouble talking about it and digesting it. And along the way, I met the other person who's here, uh, Elise Carter, the yes. lady I, who is not only a writer in the sideshow world, but also a performer.
3: Yes.
0: Hello. Hello to both of you. Hello. Greetings. Welcome to this podcast. Welcome thanks for to The having Post. Me. Yes. Thanks, to thanks, for, thanks for being here. You are both um, uh, wonderful, uh, sort of like, you're, you're writers, you sort of understand uh, this obsession that a lot of people have, um, uh, on a in a cultivated sort of way. You like uh, Mark. You've done so many different projects, and at least you are a performer and a writer. And uh, the reason for you both being here today is you're both doing events at Morbid Anatomy in the next month. You're celebrating the 10th anniversary of your book. Yes, on uh, hard to believe, uh, uh, which is pretty amazing. An Encyclopedia American Sideshow. Of sideshow stars, past and present, really from different eras, and it really goes back. At this point, about 150 years. Like we're talking about, like the era, sort of like after the Civil War, where a lot of these like sideshows came to be. Right.
1: Yeah. Mid 1800s to about about now, or 10 years, 10 years ago.
0: And Elise, yeah. right now you are uh, you are looking at women in the sideshow.
3: Yeah, largely women. Um, I've talked a little bit about the history of sideshow. Of uh, excuse me, sword swallowing, which is, uh, you know, both men and women, obviously, Uh, but I think like most industries, it's something that sort of a women's history has been um, sort of had less attention than uh, some of the more famous men in the industry
0: okay people think about the think of this as the lowest form of entertainment I know both of you really well you're cultivated uh, writers you you have sophisticated ideas why is it interesting to you
1: I mean to me I, I've just I'm just fascinated by the way the different ways a human body can can be so that people can can be born in these different shapes and sizes and missing legs or missing arms, but they can still find ways to function and they can still find ways to do all the things that you or I might do. So armless guys can do everything with their feet and, and legless men or women can move on their hands and they can be mobile and they can, they can still live a life. They can still find love. They can still have families. They can earn a living and, and all these things to me, it's just, I think it's just amazing and it's inspirational um, and it's just curiosity, and, and everyone's innately curious. That's something we're all born with. When you see something different and unusual, you want to look, you want to stare, and you want to know more about it. So I think it's all those kind of things combined. Uh, Lydia, what is it for you?
3: I was interested in John Waters and indie film and like yeah. anything that was punk rock and rock and roll. And I also discovered Sideshow at a young age. I was like 12 or 13, and it was sort of the most punk rock outsider thing and also those years coincided with the ascendancy of Jim Rose Circus side Show. Like yeah. people were rediscovering at least the working acts or the self-made freaks. It's a really huge part of American performing history. It's So it is a lot more sophisticated than people think it is. It is a lot more interesting. And it's easy to trash it now or to think of it as low culture now, but before TV and before radio and... Before, you know, during—up until the Depression, um, it really was a major form of American entertainment for more people than theater was or the symphony was or the opera was.
0: Right, and it was a unifying force because yeah. it, people—it would go from town to town. Yeah. And it would be a highlight for the, for the year when the, yeah. when the circus came to town, when the sideshow came to town. We're talking about a style of show— that existed basically in traveling caravans, there's 10-in-1 shows. People talk about it hand-in-hand with burlesque. And what was amazing to me is women had a special role in this.
3: Well, they've sort of had a, a special role on both sides, as both performers, as attractions, in, in sideshow. Um, and, you know, there was always the cooch tent, and there was the girly show. There were other... there were lady-driven aspects of um, this sideshow. Was, it was to
0: thrill you yeah. in, in many different ways. Yeah. It was to give you a visual that you wouldn't see before, and sometimes it was a lady dressed in a sexy way, doing things, acts with feathers and stuff.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, honestly, uh, to some of the stuff that I talk about or I will be talking about in my lectures is, um, you know, there's Americans love a good excuse to stare at the female body, and... Um, whether that's a tattooed lady, especially in the Victorian era where, you know, showing any skin in public, much less tattooed skin was a very shocking, subversive act or, um, you know, whether you're talking about a human oddity, um, all of these are very good excuses or just the girly show. All of these are very good excuses just to look at the female body and but side- that's not,
0: that isn't what these shows are about. Are they? Well, they're
3: an excuse to stare. Yeah, I, I think they are. And I right. there's something very primal in us. I mean, we're hardwired. We're literally, if you go back to the biological, we're literally very hardwired to admire beauty. So I think by the flip side of that is I think we're also very interested in the unusual.
0: Uh, you were here a few months ago with our friend Callie. Yes. Um, and uh, she was talking about Storyville. Yes. Uh, which was a red light district in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and one of the issues you wanted to bring out, and you were talking about this also, is that on closer examination, there are a lot of stories about women there, uh, and about how they were able to empower themselves, um, not just sexu- sexually, but but uh, uh, professionally as business women. Uh, is, does that come into uh, your talk at all?
3: Definitely. I mean, in the upcoming presentation, I'm interested in like women like Priscilla Bajano, who was a bearded lady, um, who was, you know, there's this... I think it's sort of proving to be a myth. And the longer we look at history and sort of the more oral history there is, there's the myth of exploitation, that everyone who was in the sideshow was being horribly exploited. And that's not true at all you know up until the 60s like women could not establish lines of credit for themselves so it's very hard to start a business if you can't get a business bank loan yeah. um, so if you you know in something like the sideshow did offer women you know performers they made their own money they kept their money you know they made money off selling um postcards they uh did whatever they did but it was a means to earn a living, and if you were cagey about it, it was a means to earn a really good living. You know, you look at Priscilla Bajano or or Lady Sandra Reed, who is an albino swordswallera. Like those are people who had good careers; they had their own careers, they're very self determined careers, mm. and they made money. And some of them retired really early, you know, and they and bought homes and lived happily.
0: And they have to be judged by uh, by people of, of their era. There were very yeah. few opportunities. Oh, for, yeah. For for people, especially people who are slightly unusu- unusual. Like the, the good old days were better for people who are white and better for people who didn't have any handicaps or, or birth defects.
1: So a great example that, that didn't have that issue, Bailey Williams, yeah. grew in, growing up in the 1930s during the Depression, was making a ton of money. And she supported, a I forgot the number, family. but like, like 10 brothers and sisters yeah. or some very large number. Sent them all to college. Was able to buy land for the family. She died at a young age. I think in their early twenties. Um, it's been ten years since the yeah. facts, but uh, but you know she she had that parasitic sister dangling from her. And, and in the nineteen thirties, an African American woman was making a a great deal of money. So that well, that's a great example a of someone of, who really succeeded from that.
3: I think the thing about sideshow, you know, you're talking about performers and performers who have a sense of. Um, how to shake money out of a crowd or a promoter or really how to get stuff done. And, and
0: these would be sword swallowers, fire eaters, human work, blockheads. Yeah, working
3: yeah. acts or uh, natural-born oddities. Or Lobster
0: self- boys, monkey girls.
3: Yeah, self-made freaks, bearded ladies, uh, Your whatever you have, contortionists.
0: People don't know truly freaky until they see some of the images in American Sideshow. The parasitic twins, yeah, and, and that's one. Like, I mean, conjoined, like conjoined twins conjoined are one twins thing. People yeah. know and and, and, everyone knows Chang and Hang, right? Yeah. But the parasitic twins
1: are really parasitic wild. twins are one that some so people describe, might not know. That's a thing that happens. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So to <laughs> it's describe quite a that. It's 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 called parasitic be, because you have basically a conjoined twin. It's not fully formed, so it's living off of the host body. So that hence it's parasitic. But basically, you'd have a guy like... It's a
0: full-grown man with a little yes. man
1: attached to it. Yeah, like uh, you know, kind of jutting out from from the chest, basically, or like the stomach area or the abdomen. And you'd have uh, a, a little torso and, and little arms and legs. And, and in case of a, a guy named Lalu in the late 1800s, who had a little parasitic brother with a functioning penis. And then the the sideshow promoters would, would dress it up like a girl. So then they could advertise him as Lalu and his little sister. As if that As was, if the little brother, dangling from his torso, wasn't
3: weird odd enough. enough. Yeah. yeah, like well,
1: let's go. Let's make a little, let's one up this a little. I
3: bit. yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Like in my research, I I for some reason I became very fascinated recently. Well, always, but in particular, my research with Bill Dirks, who was the had a um, his head didn't quite come together when he was born, so he there was a fissure down the front of his face. So he was the man with two faces, and part of that was that he had allegedly three eyes. And, um, Bill Dirks actually had only one working eye and he drew, he had two eye sockets, one working eye and one eye that he drew on in the middle because apparently having a giant split down his face was not enough. And I was like, here's the guy with three eyes and he really only has one. And I was like, yeah, you always have to chat it up.
1: Right. He had two noses. Yeah, the two Big noses. From the split.
3: Yeah. And you know who was his outside talker? And I don't know if anyone outside of New York and New Jersey will find this really exciting. Just that He told me just after he got out of college, um, Uncle Floyd, he was his outside talker when he was very young. That's um, crazy. Yeah. So Sideshow was a... Yeah, there's always that like...
0: And a talker for people who don't know is the people who will be outside on the midway and say like, she's round in the middle and square on top. She's, you you know, the whole like Barker, the carnival Barker kind of thing. I can't do it justice, but I wish Todd Robbins was here to (laughs) to do it for us. But it's an art and it's sort of like, uh, it's an archetype in show business, really. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's funny. It's been coming up a lot lately in politics because they kept referring to Trump as a—
0: Carnival Barker. And I
3: find that so offensive.
0: (laughs) The the story we do every few years is around this time, this silly season in politics. Mm -hmm. Uh, You get a lot of sideshow people to get angry about the fact that people are comparing politics to a sideshow or a circus. circus, Yeah. Yeah. That's how I started with this whole thing, really, (laughs) doing a story like that. And like I got Mel Burkhart to say, like, sideshows are well organized. Circuses, you know, they go from town to town, they make money, and they make people happy. Whereas politics just makes people miserable. This episode is brought to you by Esquire Network's new series, Spotless, a sexy and bold drama laced with dark humor. Spotless tells the story of a troubled man whose tidy life is turned upside down when his outlaw brother crash-lands into his world, forcing dark secrets of the past into the light and getting both of them fatally involved in organized crime. Played out against the backdrop of Gene's niche crime scene cleaning business, with gangsters, corruption, drugs, and death a constant hazard. Gene Martin and their dysfunctional family struggle to gain control over life, business, and their shared destiny. No one gets away clean. Find out what happens when the mob needs a little help cleaning up. Spotless premieres November 14th, 109 Central on Esquire Network. This episode is also sponsored by GE.
1: This episode is brought to you by The Message, A new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater.
2: Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, um, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what this is. Voices, music,
0: breathing. But you know, I'm not gonna mess with that
2: thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to the message. On iTunes
0: you've been on stage as a sword swallower as a pain proof woman I've seen you in a burlesque review out uh, out in the Hamptons maybe yeah. at uh, Stephen talkhouse
3: yeah with runaround Sue yeah that was
0: you he were the- great on stage you Thank swallow a you. sword you're in quite a skimpy outfit What does it feel like to be gawked at like that? You were quite on display.
3: Um, I honestly, I don't think about it like that. Uh, I always walk out and shout my name really loud. Like, I'm good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm the pain-proof, flame-proof, blood-type, about-80-proof lady I. (laughs) And then I'll start talking, and when I get that first laugh, I I'm like, okay, I'm good, we're good, we're rolling. And so when I, once it we're connecting, I'm connecting with the audience, then it's, you know, like I get the performance high, like I get why people do it and why it really drives them. But I try not to go out there and think about what I'm looking like at that moment uh, because, you know, I do dress myself for stage, I do try and appear showbiz, I love Liberace as an adjective. I'm like, <laughs> is it Liberace enough? But there's a certain amount of control that you get over the audience and not in a bad way, but it's this, you know, you feed off each other. Talk, talking about a parasitic relationship is, is like the performer-audience relationship does it, does is it, this it, weird symbiosis. Does it
0: help you in relating to the people you write, write about and, and that you're talking about now?
3: It gives me much more respect for them. And actually in the last... 10 years that I've been working, I've gotten to work with Natural Born Oddities. I've worked with Matt Frazier, who's on American Horror Story, is tremendously talented and um, performer and just incredibly talented in a, in a myriad of ways and very smart. And um, Jason Black, who's a Black Scorpion, and some um, tattooed people who are self-made freaks. And it gives me an enormous amount of respect for them because when I take off the makeup and I take off the costume, I'm really not the sort of person you would pick out of a crowd. Like... I work a nor- normal nine to five day job, and no one's like, "Are you a circus freak?" Like, n- no one would know. And are, are you out at work? Not really. Yeah. Um, and And there are just practical reasons for that. It's I don't dislike where I work. I like it very much. I like my office. I like my coworkers. It's just more people get very hung up on it. One of the things I was I was sort of that sort of comes to mind that I have a tremendous respect for is I get the day off like. Walking down the street in Manhattan where I live, like, no one would stop me and go, like, hey, what the hell is that? Um, if you're either a natural-born or a self-made freak, like you have a tattooed face or something, there is no day off. There is no blending into the crowd.
2: Yeah. There is
3: no sneaking into the movies, you know, or anything like that. Because whether you want to or not, you know, if you just want to go out and pick up your your dry cleaning, people are going to stare at you. And um, so... I never refer to myself as a freak. Um, I correct people who do because I'm not. I'm a working act. And I have a great respect for freaks because, again, there's no day off from that.
0: Hmm. You know, you're doing a series of talks at Morbid Anatomy. Which ones are going to blow back my hair?
3: Uh, I talk a lot about the hot and hot Venus. Sarah Bartman was her name. And she actually predates uh, even the 1850s. And I think the other thing about Sideshow is – Sort of the forgotten end of it, and rightly so, because it's kind of awful. Is um, for a lot of people, it's the first way they learned about foreigners. You know, used to be able to just put tribes on display, um, like in the Bro- in the Bronx Zoo, right? Yeah, Ota they did that. Yeah, yeah, which is
1: really hard to believe that that happened, but it did. Yeah. Yeah, and so, and, and also, I mean, al- albino African American people were on display a lot, yeah. like Eco and Ico. Um, the ambassadors from Mars because they had dreadlocks and they yeah. were. Right, a few albino, people, Few you know? people. Yeah. Few
0: people know that a uh, a black man from Africa was on display at the Bronx Zoo. Yeah, oh, early I'm 1900s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is after the Civil War. 20th century. 20th
3: century. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Chicago World's Fair, the Midway there had a number of ethnograph what they called ethnographic the, the display. The World Fair. Yeah. 1893. Yeah, just a. Um, you know, it was the first place people saw belly dancing, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and for Americans, it was their first exposure to foreign cultures. <laughs> um, so Sarah Bartman is a very sad example of that. Um, and she was displayed in France and she was born in South Africa. And um, uh, she had a big butt, you know, and there was nothing wrong with her, it was just her body shape. And that was so exotic. At the time that she was basically put on display like an animal and really treated in a
0: in a cage,
3: uh, not in a cage. I mean, it was like a sideshow on stage. It was in an arrangement, but they would allow you. They would allow patrons to poke her with a stick. <sighs> um, it's really repellent, mm-hmm. and you know there was nothing wrong with her. There was it was she was just differently shaped than Caucasian women, mm-hmm. and. Um, she and that was so exotic to people. And I, I find her so interesting. And I also find that it's sort of an image that's never left us that we're still talking about talking about it in terms of like Miley Cyrus versus um Nicki Minaj.
2: Hmm.
3: Um and you know, what the right shape is and what the you know, what the correct shape for the female body is, according to the standards of beauty, goes in and out. And you know, you got to be skinny. You got to be waifishly thin, or you got to be curvy, mm. and um, it's something you can only control to a very marginal extent. Mm. But uh, it, you know, there's a lot, lot of layers to that image. Mm.
0: Mark, what are some of the extraordinary women in American sideshow?
1: Well, I think I think we. Talked about a few of them for sure. Jeannie the half lady, Jeannie oh, yeah. Tomaney is a great yes. story. So yeah. she married a giant. So Al Tomanie and Jeannie.
0: Yes, heroes of like legends of Gibtown. Yes, yeah. I mean they were founders. They
1: were among the founders of Gibtown, which you know in Florida, where all those it started. Show. It started
0: with their little cabin, right? Yeah, he yeah. had uh, the giant fishing camp. For for people who don't know, uh, there is a place in Gib in in Gibsonton, outside of Tampa, known as Gibbtown, and. Uh, around the time that that Alan Jeannie Tomini, the giant and his half-lady uh, uh, wife, settled there, um, there there was a reason for circus folk and carnival folk and sideshow folk to stay there. It's, it was the winter home for uh, all these traveling shows. And it was warm. And like you said, the zoning was there. And they became sort of – what was it? The early 1950s?
1: Yeah, yeah, they, and, and they were running the town. They, I think yeah. Al was the fire chief. I think there was a dwarf who was the police chief. Um, this yeah. this was the way it, it was. This was the community. Priscilla lived and, there and married yes. Emmett, the alligator scream, alligator skin Melvin man. Melvin Burkhardt, the human blockhead.
3: Ward is still there. Ward, Ward and Chris is still there? Are Chris yep. Christ are still there and
1: you know, Unfortunately, the giant camp just closed down uh, several years ago. Uh, we it, the, we did the story about the the, you, the boot you, yes when they did the monument for Al's giant boot that used to sit alongside uh, outside the camp along the highway. If um, you're
0: he was by some by some tales eight feet tall right he was billed as eight feet four inches tall but he was probably
3: and
1: significantly it shorter was
3: like more like seven probably in the seven hundred yeah, yeah, yeah I sevens. just looked it up for yeah. something <laughs>
1: and those those I mean the giant heights always sort of vary they'd have this billing and then you'd see, oh they were really seven foot six or Somewhere around there.
3: Yeah, and they raised kids there. They adopted and raised children, and
0: and he, they would tour the world. He walking with her under his arm, right?
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, was... he would just scoop her up. You know, yeah. I mean, the the size difference is just, just... remarkable, obviously. But but they were a wonderful couple. They adopted, uh, you know, their their daughter Judy Rock adopted uh, was still living there, as far as I know. Which... I think so. But I had gone down there for the book, and you know, we met with her at the giant camp and her grandson. Um, who's in the book
0: remember when we see a half lady when when you saw her on a table or perched at the cash register of the diner that she and al ran uh it looked like her body ended abruptly at the waist like the person on the cover of your uh, of american sideshow right johnny
1: right johnny yuck yeah yeah i mean it does it does look like your curiosity wonders like where exactly is it stopping
3: yeah
1: um Clearly, it's not usually he, as bad as I think your imagination might lead to. They've got the bu- organs. They, yeah. have, they can function.
0: But it looks like – it always looked when Johnny Eck, um, one of the uh, principal characters, I guess, in the book or people people you profile in the book, it looks like their their body ends at where their shirt ends. Yeah. Let's talk about the life of your book. You did this book. I'm so proud of you for putting it together. Uh, and – uh, it's had like a bizarre afterlife, really, where it goes on sale when there's a Broadway show that touches on the sideshow. Yeah, that, that it was— get, It gets all over the place.
1: That was a pleasant surprise to see it on sale at the Broadway show sideshow. Yeah. So, fittingly. But it was—I was very honored to to hear that, and I went to the show and, and saw it on display. It was it was very exciting. But the exciting. people that was a good
0: who are into this, people like yourself and other people we've had on here, um, you become rabid— Uh, 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 book collectors
2: because it's hard
0: to get good information and it's there's stuff on the internet now but it's not stuff that was covered uh in uh mainstream all that much not until recently
1: yeah i mean i have become a bit of a book collector um but i love finding these old books that have stories of these characters that they're really lost in history and Part of what I try to do with the American Sideshow is bring some of those characters back that I never heard of in any of the other more current Sideshow books. Um, found them in old articles or very old books. But, uh, but yeah, I love finding these just bizarre little character tales. I mean, I have a book called uh, The Book of Remarkable Characters, I think, from like the mid-1800s. And every page just has a, a bizarre character with these beautiful sketches of them. Uh, another one, Wonders of the Universe from like 1842 or something. And it's oh, just wow. one bizarre story
0: after another. Uh, what are some of the, like, g- give me something. Give me some good. be like the people who ate rocks, you know. And <laughs> there are a lot of people out there who eat mud, right? That's not that yeah.
1: unusual. But, but like rocks, you know, and it would yeah. go into this full description of how he was eating rocks. And, you know, just bizarre uh, stories like that. Other, um, other armless people I never heard of in other books that were, you know, they're, they're if you go just by, like, the normal sideshow books out there, you'd think that there were only, like, a handful of them. But there were really a, a lot of these people touring. So it's just the ones – some of them kind of bubbled up to the top and through history and what's been recorded. But, but these things were happening a lot out there. There
0: were how a lot can, of people how, making money How much can world. you actually trust the source material That's that you a guys write, r- write from? Um, yeah, that was a hard thing
1: with the research was, okay, so you find these old books. You find these old articles, and you don't know how much of it you can believe – um, so you have to see, like, are you finding other things that kind of uh, are, make a little bit of consistency with what you're finding in terms of facts? But part of the fun also is that these were the exaggerations that were making sideshow what it was. So the giant who was, you know, billed as eight feet, four inches tall, um, that was just part of the fun of it, I think. That was part of the attraction. Yeah, still.
3: you have to balance a respect for the, for the ballet or the hype with the old – journalism considered the source. You know, for these things, I've done a, a real deep dig into the New York City Library, which has some amazing collections. Yes. And I just found one, and I think it's called Remarkable Turns or something, or Great Turns. And even he, he talks about this famous sword swallow, Chevalier Clicot. Yes. And he's like, yeah, he says 14 swords, but it used to be just four that he swallowed. And... So even the guy who wrote that book was like, eh, I don't know, like you, you got to be a little skeptical of the contemporary accounts. And,
1: what, you know, what I did with American Sideshow was I wasn't trying to say, trying to get down to the bottom of it and like, here's the facts. He only did this. This was who the person was. These were the stories that were told about them. And, and to me, that was, that was fine. You know, this was, this was what they did. This was how they were built, the, the bowing, the hype. It's all part of the allure of it. So to me, that,
0: that was what the story was. The world has changed an awful lot since you wrote the book that's in front of you now. Yes. And one of the ways is that it's hard to surprise the audience. YouTube barely existed then if it existed at all. The, 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 the ante has been raised for shock and amaze. Um, what do you think that's in your book now that would still shock and amaze the average person? You know
1: that that's a good question because you're you're right. There's just so much on the internet. You can just Google anything or put on YouTube anything, and you see these remarkable, crazy, horrific conditions. I would pay know? money to
0: see the cash I mean, history in your in
1: your Chrome browser because <laughs> I'm sure it's fucking great. There was uh, do you remember there was a guy that was in a bunch of articles a few years back. I think his name is Didi from Indonesia, who was called the Tree Man. Oh yeah. Who was like like bark growing all over his body, and that was like maybe one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen, and and probably like I always thought that nothing could beat the Elephant Man in terms of uh, grotesque, yeah, a grotesque body of like just someone who's so sadly more malformed, you know, because he was definitely a shocking one. I think he would still, I think that's still shocking now to see the Elephant Man if you've never seen yeah. him. And, and I saw that movie when I was, like, seven, which is probably a big part of how I've yeah. gone on this path. But uh, maybe a little yeah, too young. Yeah, I think
3: if you're of a generation that grew up with that's incredible yeah. or uh, and, real people, yes, that kind of changed your thinking.
1: But I think that people like that, like like Didi, is is probably one of the more crazy ones. And and you start to see uh, more people like that that just have these amazing conditions. I mean, the good thing about someone like Didi, when because you see him on TV, is— um, and which is a little bit of, and we kind of emailed about this, like Sideshow is almost going into the world of TV, but, but they're finding people that can actually help them and, and try to better their condition. So that's like the good that kind of comes out of that. Hopefully they can have a better life. I think what's most amazing that that would still shock people is maybe not the condition so much, but the fact that I think maybe their earnings is what's really shocking. Like to know, like we talked about this earlier about, you know, Betty Lou Williams making a ton of money in the, during the Depression. Um, the money they were making in the 1800s, like Tom Thumb was a millionaire. But now, no matter how shocking you are, no, one, no one's going to make the kind of money that they were making back then. So while there might be more shocking conditions, there's not, there's not that ability to have, uh, to make a, a really great living that they were doing then. I mean, these, these, they were incredibly wealthy. Or they could be. There was that potential for a lot of
0: them. Whenever we get together with sideshow folks, some people like lament that there's maybe one or two traveling sideshows left in the country. But the other part of it is is that in a lot of ways, sideshow has never been more vibrant. There's probably more sideshow sword swallers now than there there has ever been on record. And uh, there are all sorts of acts in burlesque. Uh, on TV, on uh, working cabarets than ever before.
3: It's and that's a mixed bag because there are some amazing performers out there right now. Um, there are a lot of them, and it it's certainly something I would hate to see die off. Yeah. Um, the growth is great. It keeps it alive. It keeps people doing new things, and it keeps it vibrant. But it can also, it's like not all burlesque is good burlesque. Not all sideshow is good sideshow. So I think there's a sorting out process that is going to come about, I hope, in the next couple of years.
0: You both do so many amazing things. You have so many amazing projects. Um, And uh, we... Uh, are able to have uh, this conversation in part because an entity like Morbid Anatomy, and it's in Brooklyn. It is a treasure in a lot of ways. Yes. Yes. they have
1: speakers there. I would, I would go every night if I could. If I pretty know, much an, an do. amazing. <laughs> yeah, such amazing. I pretty people. much
3: should just have my mail sent there at this <laughs> yeah. point. But it is really fascinating, and yeah. it is really incredibly smart and fun and. Um, something New York and the world needs
0: thank you so much for joining us we'll be more on the show and really check out Mark's books he has other books he has pictures it's hard to find this stuff and believe me these people do it because they love it because they're fascinated by it Um, as they say in the world of sideshow it's a tough way to make an easy living I'll leave you with that thank you for listening check us out on iTunes on SoundCloud on Stitcher we're part of the Panoply Network Once again, weird out.